podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to a Celtic state of mind. I am Paul John Dykes. And on this Friday afternoon, I am delighted to be joined by James French and Alan Morrison for a wee chat around all things Celtic. Before we get started, a massive happy 60th birthday to Brian Chalky McClear. Now, he's a player, James, more of me and uh, Alan's vintage. But I wanted to give him a big shout out, Alan, because he's always been very supportive of Axom. He's appeared on the show a few times over the years. Even when I asked him to drink Buckfast and eat a deep-fried Mars bar, he did it. And he's obviously, he's done a couple of uh, our live events over the years as well. Let's not forget, though, when he was at Celtic, he was a top goal scorer four years running. Yes, we had other pin-ups, but McClear was a supreme striker for Celtic in the 80s. Oh, he was. I mean, absolutely beautiful footballer. I mean, just such an intelligent player. Um, I mean, you know, he played mainly as a forward for Celtic. And then when he went to Manchester United, he was used as a forward, but eventually went back to central midfield because he was that good. He was good enough to play as a central, creative central midfielder for a lot of his career uh, and very successfully as well. Um, I know there was a thing on on Twitter or whatever a while ago about, you know, picking the best 11 Celtic players uh, from, from the time that you, you you were alive sort of thing. And uh, I, I didn't put McClare in and I completely regretted it. And I wanted to go back and change it because I, I, I don't know why I didn't put him in. It was it was just, a I think I, think I put Tommy Burns in. I think that's what it was. Um, but actually, I'd love to fit in McClare in somewhere because uh, he was just such a, a wonderful player uh, in all respects, technically. Te- such a great technical player, such an intelligent player. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Intelligent player and also a very intelligent figure off the park as well. So intelligent indeed mm. that a lot of the time his sense of humour goes over people's heads. Um, but the reason I mentioned pin-ups, we had loads of pin-ups um, in the 1980s. Of course, McClear came after Charlie Nicholas. We got big money from um, Arsenal for Charlie and we went to Motherwell and we signed uh, Chalky for something like 80 grand. Um, another pin-up, of course, was uh, Frank McAvenny. And I always remember, Alan, thinking about my greatest Celtic 11 um, and always thinking about McAvenny. But when you look at it and what uh, Brian McClure actually gave to Celtic over a period of four years, he was a far better striker. But you get lost in nostalgia a lot of the times. I think back to the centenary year, such a special time for me personally as well. And uh, McAvenny was the hero of that time. A wee bit before your time, I'm afraid, James, you're just going to have to ask your old fella or trust us on this one. Brian McClure was one of the best we had in the 1980s. He went on to be... A great at Man United, Alex Ferguson always goes on about the importance of Brian McClear and his revolution down at Old Trafford. And he saw the advent of the the new superstar footballer and the likes of Ryan Giggs and David Beckham. And uh, always good when he's involved in Axholm events as well. So big shout out to Chalky. Um, another shout out uh, to Shane McGowan, who will be laid to rest today, a poet an artist, a musician, a punk, um, an absolute genius, in actual fact. And uh, I retweeted something the other day that I tweeted a few years ago. I, I don't know how, but I came across a rider that was at the uh, the 1980s peak of the Pogues' popularity. And this was a rider for a gig that they did. And it lists, of course, all the backstage food, drink, cigarettes, everything. And it goes and goes and goes over numerous pages. And I remember posting it a few years ago and Spider Stacey from the Pogues re-posted it, going on about, oh, that was a quiet one. It ended up in the Irish Post. They covered it. Uh, Shane McGowan, RIP, and Dr. Refat Alarir as well, who just recently thanked the Celtic supporters for the solidarity shown to the Palestinian fight against oppression was murdered in Gaza yesterday and it's always for me important to point out um, what is ongoing over there as well. Let's get stuck into the football. James, I've not spoke to you for a couple of weeks. What's the update on the Republic Island job? 
Who's the front runners over there? Um, I think currently a lot of talk about Tony Mowbray after he um, sacked by Sunderland. A lot of people are saying it's kind of harsh, um, which it probably was to be fair, but kind of Jesus. a lot of probably you froze there. Sorry, Paul, you froze there. Some people might call him the likes of Neil Lennon. Right, okay. Oh, well, so, sorry. Um, on you go, mate. Yeah, so um, Neil Lennon as well, links to the job, probably wouldn't be a lot of people's first choice after his kind of recent... Um, recent few jobs, obviously with Celtic, and then with over in Cyprus, I think a lot of people is probably from there. Lee Carsley, England twenty one manager at the moment, done a brilliant job with them in the summer at the Euros, and probably is a lot of people's first choice. But it just kind of depends. We'll have to see how the next months um, pan out. Who kind of who kind of comes the clear favour? But probably Tony Mowbray and um, Tony Mowbray, Lee Carsley is probably the two that a lot of people are talking about at the moment. Yeah, I mean. I seen that Tony Mowbray uh, was was unceremoniously sacked, Alan. It's a cruel mistress. This game of football, um, but a lot of these guys, you know, they move on to get a job pretty quickly. Uh, Mowbray, I remember the thing is again talking about your kind of bias. I was talking about Macavaney and my bias towards Maca because of the team that he played in that special season. Mowbray, you know, up until the point that he comes to Celtic. Uh, was a manager who was absolutely firing, wasn't he? I mean, very highly rated at Hibs. He went to West Brom. He was doing a great job at West Brom. Didn't really work out at Celtic. And a lot of, a lot of Celtic fans um, in Ireland might be judging him based on his Celtic managerial tenure as well, Alan. Yeah, I think uh, I'm not following him closely, but I know he's had various jobs outside of the English Premier League, so sort of championship level and even below, and 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 done done reasonably well. He's he's one of these. I guess I think you know steady pairs of hands in terms of that level of football. Um, you know, they often say that international football suits an older an older manager. Maybe you know it's it's obviously not day to day. It's you know it's not as, as high pressure in terms of the sort of you know the, the day in day out of it. So so whether whether he's at that stage of his career where, where he, as a mature more mature person more mature manager. A job will, will suit him. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not really. I don't follow the Republic of Ireland very closely. Uh, James, do they have young players coming through? Because they don't seem to have a particularly strong team at the moment. But I don't know if there's. I don't. I don't know if a new man would find a lot of younger players waiting to to maybe take that step up, or or is it not looking so good that yeah, in that respect? In either? terms of the obviously you have Ferguson at Brighton. I think everyone kind of knows about him. But in terms of like yeah. under 19s up under 21s, we will be quite strong. Like we've. Because of Brexit, um, a lot of the Irish players obviously going to Italy, going to France. I don't know if you know Jacob Ryan from Cork. He's kind of starting for Lyon at the moment over in France. Okay. Centre half starting every week. So I think it's it's probably it was the best thing for Irish football for these guys to kind of start heading to the continent. And you listen, we have a lot of talent coming up, but you can't like talent isn't potential. It's like it's you can't rely just on potential. Like even the likes of Troy Paris and stuff, a lot of hype about him. He hasn't really hit them heights like it's it's going to take time just I think you're obviously probably aware of John Delaney and the FAI he set Irish football back about 20 years and it's just going to take time for them guys to to come up because there's a huge huge generation gap in the squad at the moment you've got the likes of Dane Collins starting every week in the Prem he's 22-23 and probably the oldest player after that Shane Duffy 31 there's not a lot of guys that 29-30 prime age of international football that can that are big players in the squad which is it's a big reason why we're failing at the moment. There's just too much of a generation gap. That's a shame. I mean, Alan, with regards to international football, um, I kind of fell for Ireland during Jack Charlton's tenure. It was Euro 88, I think, was my first real memory of watching them and, and supporting them mm. from afar, of course. And he built teams that had bags and bags of personality. Originally, you know, the, the teams that had the likes of Ronnie Whelan and Ray Houghton and these types of players. And, of course, you had that Celtic connection through Pat Bonner, Chris Morris, Mick McCarthy. And then there was a period later on where there was kind of superstar players like your Robbie Keane and Damien Duff and these guys that were proper top, top star players. But they do, they do seem to be going through this period. But sometimes it's, you know, just before a crop comes through, you, you go through that period of darkness where not, not much is happening. Uh, Stephen Kenny, of course, very highly rated under 21s, didn't really work out for him um, in the top job. I hope they get it right. I really do. I hope that the, the appointment is the right one and um, they can crack on because I love to see Ireland doing well. 
love to see Scotland doing well. It's uh, incredible that we're starting to um, actually qualify for finals of tournaments. Uh, before we get stuck into who should be playing and why um, against Kilmarnock this weekend, I'm, I'm also going to mention it because JP and I touched on it yesterday and the guy has absolutely doubled down. Joey Barton, what an absolute balloon he is coming out, talking around, um, you know, the, the women's voice in the male game um, and not holding any credibility. Mm. The man, Alan, is an absolute clown, isn't he? I don't actually know what he said and I don't want to give him any of my time to talk about it. Sorry, sorry, Paul. <laughs> That's how I feel about him. <laughs> I could have I could have asked you for data, but he never played 900 minutes of football in Scotland. So we'll just swiftly move on, Alan. And that's as that's as much as we can say about him. The guy is a oh, God, yeah. simple yeah. as that. Yeah, yeah. And he's doubled down yeah. on it last night. And um what frightens me is when somebody like that um has so much of a, a presence. I mean, on Twitter alone, I think he's got you know hundreds of thousands of followers and he's spouting this absolute nonsense. Uh, so a big shout out to all the phenomenal female uh, presenters and pundits out there, some of whom we've had on a Celtic state of mind. You've just got to look at Amy Canavan and how she's working um, through her incredible rise on the BBC. So big shout out to all these people who are doing a great job. Yeah, we've got a big game. Every game's a big game. And I'm going to bring up some um, of the comments coming through. Jungle Line, always great to see you on the show. This ruthless streak from Rogers has to keep happening until January. James, the timing is brilliant. We're just going into a January transfer window and Brendan um, has basically, um, you know, he's come out on on uh, the weekend saying that's the angriest he's ever been in a dressing room. He's then wielded the axe uh, on the, the team sheet against Hibs. And I love it. I love this ruthless nature, James, but the timing's great because he's going to have to be ruthless in January as well, I think. Yeah, I think... Um... There's a lot of the players in the current squad are very comfortable in, in their starting positions. Like you look at Greg Taylor, he doesn't have anyone pushing him at all. Like um a lot the same a lot, a lot of the players in the squad at the moment, obviously we've a bit of an injury crisis, um out wide or bad and, and wide out. But like it's just kind of it's it's just worrying that into January after the window in the summer, if we're gonna be able to to bring in some quality to kind of help help the team out. I wouldn't really trust the current the current recruitment system, whatever. Obviously, Mark Law in charge there. Like after the summer, I'd be I'd be very um, unsure about whether they're going to be able to bring in the quality we need in January. But yeah, in terms of in terms of the Hibs game, I thought we were I thought we were pretty good sec- or pretty good first half, obviously. And I thought all was brilliant. I think a lot of people talk about all and um, and if he obviously a lot of Jack and Marcus lovers kind of love to hate on all, but like. Always been, I thought he was absolutely brilliant against Hibs and I think his, his goal to minute ratio is something like a goal every 77 minutes which is is really really good considering the amount of, the amount of starts he, he's only had maybe two starts this season or something along the end line so but yeah I think Rodgers will just have to kind of keep that rootless streak up with the with the current lack of quality in the squad heading into January and get to January and then we can kind of bring in a few more quality players to help the, the current team out because I think that we badly need that in January I agree with that, James. Um, seeing, seeing how James mentioned O'Allen, I'm going to run with this one with yourself. I know that in order to get the kind of the different metrics and, and um, some of the data that, that you find really useful, uh, you go for that 900 minute. That's like the, the magical uh, figure. I, my my uh, calculations say that he's played over a, just over a thousand minutes. Uh, what's your findings on O? How do you how do you think he fares for Celtic? Is um, he the type of player who would maybe suit Brennan Rodgers' system better, even arguably than Kyogo. What do you make of it? Yeah, so uh, yeah, sorry. I think to, to to merge data from seasons requires a bit of uh, yeah, loving tender care to some spreadsheets, which I've not done yet. But um, it's a fair tender challenge. Tender loving how you care to a that. spreadsheet, Alan. Oh yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, well, that's I talk about game. spreadsheet shagging, and uh, yeah. So, so uh, listen, so I'm not actually. I know. I'm not, not, listen, always, always been a bit of a standout for me um, in terms of he is incredibly productive. Um, he's a little bit like a, a bad. I, know, I don't mean in style of play. I just mean he's similar in the, to the extent that in, on all the minutes that he plays, he seems to get a lot of chances. He seems to create a lot. He seems to cause a lot of mayhem in the box. 
much like Abada does. Uh, Abada, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you have to take the rough with the smooth. You know, there's quite a few bad decisions, bad executions in, in his play. And always very similar. He can look a bit clumsy sometimes. And, you know, you see him making just what you think is a basic five-yard pass and he can look quite awkward, a bit like Giacomacus used to do in that extent. Yeah, uh, extent. yeah. But he's always had this thing where um, whenever he's come on, um, he's, it's, not, he's not being it's not been quiet it's, it's, something's always happened and things tend to revolve around him so I, I like that and so his numbers his numbers in terms of expected goals expected assists has always been really strong for the minutes that he's played what I do have to say is that he's he's most often been used obviously as a substitute now if you're a substitute especially as a forward for Celtic and you're coming on let's say in the 60th 70th minute more often than not especially last season Celtic are maybe two three goals up Mm -hmm. So um, a lot, a lot of players last season, and I'm thinking, you know, especially of Turnbull, Haksabanovic, O, Jakimakis, and Abada, especially, had almost better stats than the starters because they got this dividend from coming on late in game, where teams were already being run ragged for 60 minutes. Kyogo had been running the defence ragged. He came off. Jakimakis or O come on and almost get almost do some what I call stat padding in the last twenty minutes and rack up some good numbers. So you got to, you've got to have that context in your mind. We haven't really seen O have a run of starts yet. There's no reason why he shouldn't start on Sunday given his performance uh, against Tavernian. So I'd I'd like to see him get that and, and see what uh, see what he does with a run of of of, of, uh, of games because they get the what you what you're, what you're going to get with a lad is you're going to get absolute commitment absolute effort and he's what i love about him uh, as a strike is he's an optimist and uh, and i always say that I, I like my strikers to be optimistic and my defenders to be pessimistic and he's an optimist he always believes something happening he always believes he's going to get on the end of the and he misses one he just he gets up and he and he goes again so i love that about him but let, let's see him get an extended run i think that'll be really good to see it would be it absolutely would, and I know what you mean there um, by him being an optimist because obviously it's about getting into particular spaces and hoping that the chance arises. But also, even from distance, you've seen him often, Alan, gathering the ball, turning and just striking from 25, 30 yards. And you know, you need a bit of optimism, a bit of belief, a bit of self belief um, to try that. What I find interesting also about him, again, hopefully, my my. Um, very basic stats are correct. 12 goals he's now scored, but no assists, Alan. No mm. assists for the big fella. It's all about the goals for him, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. I'm sorry, you're catching me up here. I've got my spreadsheet open. I'm trying to look at his sort of expected assists or chance created. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not that probably, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I actually have him down for one assist this season. That might be actually, I count. So I, I'm a little bit old fashioned, old school when it comes to assists. Um, I use the old, what they call these sort of fantasy football rules for assists. So, for example, if you get brought down for a penalty, as far as I'm concerned, that's an assist. You've, you've won a penalty. Fair enough. Um, Absolutely. You know, a shot at goal. I even go so far as if you get brought down for a free kick, I count that as you've won, you've won a free kick. If there's you've a shot at goal, yeah. you effectively, you, you've assisted that that free kick shot. So I, so I take quite a, almost a kind of fantasy football. So I think that, I think from memory, that assist against Aberdeen might have been a penalty that he won. But you're right, I think he created four chances away at Ross County, but he's only created eight in total over the season. So, he, so that, that isn't part of his game. But then again, you know, Kyogo's not, Kyogo's probably a little bit more creative in that sense. But this is where you have to sort of divorce it, the, the individual from the system. I and mean, the way that's a Celtic player, the, their striker has got a very specific role, which is generally to be in, in, in the box between the posts and not to wonder about too much. And uh, that was certainly <laughs> very much the case under Postacoglu, maybe a wee bit more flexible under under Rogers. So I guess what I'm saying is, is I don't know if it's the fact that always isn't creative or just the fact that he's been asked to play a particular role. It doesn't mean that he's going to create a lot. Yeah. And of course, if you're talking about O, part of that conversation has to be Kyogo, James. And um, last season, coming to the end of the campaign, I was looking at the old uh, top goal scorer lists and the fact that uh, he was one of very few goal scorers in the last 20 years to hit 32-plus goals in a season for Celtic. He was on a list with the likes of Henrik Larsson, um, uh, Moussa Dembele, I think uh, Gary Hooper was on that list as well. Chris Commons was on the list, uh, now that I remember. Um, and, of course, Lee Griffiths. This season, he's not been as prolific. We have changed the way that we attack, uh, the delivery of the balls. Uh, again, maybe Alan can give me more info on that. It seems to be 
uh, more suited to O than Kyogo. Are you concerned about him, James? Uh, this loss of form and now the loss of uh, a start in Jersey for Kyogo. Yeah, listen, I think Kyogo is obviously a brilliant player. Like he's pure goal scorer. We've seen that last year, but to be fair to him, I don't think he's he's done a lot wrong this season in terms of his productivity and stuff out there. Like I think Alan's touched on this, but our wingers aren't really providing him with much um, in terms of chances. Like I know last year. We obviously had Jota and um, Abada, along with Haskabanovic off the bench, who at the start of the season was was extremely productive in terms of creating chances for him. And I think this season we've we've really struggled um, without Jota and in particular, I think Abada as well. Who a lot of a lot of fans are kind of unsure of Abada. Um, he obviously is, he has some rough parts of his game, but the one thing is he's he's a goal scorer and he can create chances. And we've you've taken away Jota and Abada from us at the start of the season. Um, obviously one's permanent one's just injured but take away both of them for the first few months of the season and we're going to struggle in terms of creating chances for Kyogo but as well as I think we've it's difficult in, in domestically obviously with how teams set up against us in the low block but I don't think we've tried enough kind of penetrative passes like in behind the defence even if you watch Celtic it's obviously at Rodgers it's more um, it's more of a slower build up and stuff which is fine but I think the likes of even you saw McGregor for always goal against Hibs, that kind of kind of longer passing behind the defence. I think we need to try them more with Kyogo because if you watch Kyogo, he makes absolutely brilliant runs, but sometimes we just don't find them. And I think we're obviously missing Atate, who kind of who sees a lot of them runs, which is another another factor into why his form has kind of dropped off. But listen, Kyogo is he's an absolutely brilliant player and he'll, he'll definitely come good over the next few months. But you have to play who's in form like there's there's no one that's kind of a, a guaranteed start every week at Celtic. Bar McGregor, maybe, and Carter Vickers. If if you're if you're not performing and someone comes in and, and does well, then you're not going to be in the team the next week. So like, yeah. But I think Kyogo, listen, Kyogo will, will come back, come back, and he'll pick up a bit of form. But I think a lot of it is down to to how our wingers have been this season and missing Jota Nevada, and in particular our wingers just haven't created nowhere near enough for. No, you're, you're, I think you're spot on with that. Um, and again, if, if we're in the, the discussion of a striker, Alan, I'll come to you on this one. I uh, had a good chat yesterday with JP around. Obviously, we're at that time of year. Some call it silly season uh, where names are connected and uh, rumoured to be involved and linked with Celtic uh, transfers. And in January, we've had a few names and might be more. Uh, let us know in the comments if other strikers have been linked to Celtic. Uh, but Miofsky's the one that uh, seems to be getting a lot of attention at the moment, Alan. Um, he's been prolific for Aberdeen, who, you know, since he joined Aberdeen, they've not been in any great shakes. I watched a, a wee piece yesterday about an Aberdeen fan who wants ready Barry Robson. Um, you know, so they, at the moment, I think are only three points off the bottom of the table. Aberdeen, I'd need to double-check that. Not having a great season. Last season would would be marred by... Um, the, the, the Darville Cup upset, obviously Liam Scales somehow came out of all that nonsense and became a player for Celtic. But Miofsky's been linked. Um, a few others have been linked as well, Alan. What's your take on that? What do you do in relation to, to players that are linked? Do you ever check their data out to see if they would be suited to how we play? Yeah, I had a little look at them. I just want to, sorry, uh, Paul, just before I get into that, um, just on front, just to sort of close off on Kyogo, um, James is absolutely spot on. And this killer stat for me is that, you know, this season, both Palmer and Yang have provided two passes each for Kyogo for chances. That's four chances he's had all season from Palmer and Yang. And, and that is killing us. That The wing play has been killing us this season. It really has. Uh, Kyogo's expected goals went from 0.67 to 0.78 last season, it's down to 0.5, uh, which is a huge drop-off. Um, and, and, and I completely agree with James, it's because the, the service just isn't there. Uh, it's been re- The wing play's been so poor. Um, in terms of Majofsky, I did have a little look at him, not 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 massive. I mean, um, I think in terms of Barry Robson, it was actually James on the Huddle Breakdown that called this last season. Um, he was firmly of the view that... Um, that Aberdeen were way overperforming their underlying stats, and that, that you know they finished third, I think, but this was glossing over what were actually really poor performances, and that he didn't rate Robson at all. And I think this season we're seeing that reversion back to performances are you know reflecting their outcomes and they're reflecting performances, if you like. And and so I, I yeah I, I don't think he's a great 
a great coach, unfortunately. I don't, I don't understand the way they play. It doesn't seem to fit the personnel that they have. And so within that context, um, you know, he's done, done really well because I, th- I think he's playing in a, in, a re- in a team that's set up completely wrong and not necessarily set up to get the best out of him. Um, but he, but he's, 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 he's 24, so he's a nice, a nice age. Um, he's done well in Hungary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done well in Scotland. Uh, he's got experience in Europe. He's scored goals in, in, in the Conference League, Europa League sort of level, which is, which is good as well. Um, he's quite creative. He brings others into the game. He's a bit different, good technically, but he's also quite tall. So though he's not massively strong in the air, he's probably obviously a lot better in the air than, uh, than Kyogo. I think he's about 6'2". Um, a little bit, not, maybe not quite as pacey as I'd like, but um, I, I, think, I think it's... I was looking back, actually, the last striker that Celtic signed that you they had a lot of SPFL experience was actually Lee Griffiths and that you know that in general ended badly but in general that worked out really well yeah so yeah. I think you know I, I've probably been as guilty as as anyone in terms of being a little bit snobby about signing players from from within the league um, but actually you know he looks like somebody that it would be really interesting to see if you put him in a better team and played to his strengths. You know what? What would he be like? I think. I think the. I think. He, I think he could surprise in, in a positive way. Um, the price. The, you know. The, the, I think the price is being mentioned of you know four to five million seem a bit high to me. But um, on the other hand, uh, I'd rather we signed that. You know, spent that sort of money <clears throat> for a known quantity and had confidence that they were going to do well at this level. Mm-hmm. Um, than than splaffed it on on somebody who you know is a complete risk sort of thing. So yeah, I, I'm I'm intrigued by it, I, and I, and I wouldn't discount it. But I haven't done a a deep deep dive on it, on his stats. But certainly one that you know I'd be very interested, intrigued about it. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And there, there is, I, I was called the other day a snob because I don't fancy Shankland. And you know this, it's not because he's mm. playing in Scottish football. I, just as a player, his age profile. And I've got a, a niggling uh, concern about Shankland, Alan, that he's got an up and down career. You know, if it if it works for him, it works well. And if it doesn't, he's absolutely he's a completely different player. And you can see it throughout his career. You know, right right back to probably his biggest move early on, um, to Aberdeen. Uh, and then, you know, that falls off the edge of a cliff. He needs to take a few steps back to build himself back. And it seems to have been prevalent throughout his career. He's found a place at the moment that suits him. Uh, players suit football teams and often it earns them a move and then they get a move and it doesn't work out because the team isn't as well suited to the individual. So I'm not a massive fan of Lawrence Shankland. Uh, I know he scored goals against Celtic. I get it. Um, and also he's 28-year-old and I think Hearts are looking for a, a a hefty fee for him as well, Alan. So it's not mm. snobbery from my perspective because I think Miofsky, um he is a player that if we were to sign him and... He was the sole signing uh, of the January transfer window. Celtic fans probably wouldn't be too happy with that. But if he was part of a uh, a two or three player acquisition through the month of January, then I think that people will look at that and say, you know what, he is he is back up to Kyogreno, particularly during the Asian Cup. And like you say, Alan, there's, there's that one thing that even if you're getting reports from players and you're going and scouting players, the one thing that's going to be very difficult to answer is whether or not he can do it in the environment that you're going to ask him to do it in. And that, of course, is Scottish mm. football, but also on the European stage. And albeit the conference, league, he has managed to um, continue his form domestically into European football for Aberdeen. So apparently, Brendan Rodgers likes the player. Going back to your point, James, around the, the wingers, um, I think Palmer's made an impact. We've seen games where he's not been great. Uh, we've seen other games where he's made a real positive impact in the match also in the Champions League as well. But in terms of the wingers, it's uh, it's been a wee bit recently of a, an injury crisis to that position of the park. That you know, Similar to the one we faced for the centre-halves at the, the start of the season. And um, he was he was bold with our Brendan against Hibs because not only did he drop Yang, he dropped him from the squad. I've not heard an update to suggest that he was injured. He certainly didn't feature. Mikey Johnson gets his start. You've been seeing him playing well for Ireland as well, James. When we go into the game against Kilmarnock, it is one of the questions, isn't it? And um, who plays on the wing? Does Palmer and Johnson keep their jerseys? Do you bring someone else back in? 
who are the other options? What's your take on it, James? In terms of kind of the options we have at wide moment, I think Lewis Palmer has to start. Like I don't think we have a, a, an op- another option really for for him. But I think Mikey obviously you know, I don't really took a chance against him either night, unfortunately. Um, I get the sense he feels a lot of pressure playing for Celtic, especially at Celtic Park, whatever it is down to confidence or or whatever. But I think probably is the only other option we really have at the current time. Yang has been. He obviously started the season he showed some glimpses of what he can do um, he, he has some he has some degree of talent there and he's he's quite he's okay technically and stuff but he's just he's very raw overall and mm. I think the performance against um, against St. Johnson was very very poor so um, I'd have to say that Palma definitely has started for me and Johnson's probably the only other option there at the moment in a position that we really are going to have to strengthen in January and I know Alan Arley's are talking obviously about Miofsky um, I, I quite like Miofsky. I think he's he's a very good player in a, in a very defensive Aberdeen team. I think a lot a lot of strikers would struggle to score in that Aberdeen team at the moment. How defensive yeah. they are, how direct they are, it doesn't really suit Miofsky at all. I know he's not small, but he's not he's not kind of as physical as O or or them type of players. So, but I think I'd, I'd love to see kind of like a a winger slash striker come in in January, someone who can kind of cover the striker position while Kyogo and O are in the Asian Cup, and then can. Can fill in on the wing as well. That would be kind of probably the ideal situation. Whether that materialises or not is a different question. But yeah, I think for for Sunday, I think it's going to have to be Palma and Mikey Johnson. And um, if you look at kind of their current injury options, we're obviously quite short. If you look at, and I'm kind of bagging on about Rocco Vata every week, but like I'd, I'd like to even just see him on the bench. Like we're four up against Hibs tonight. Could we have seen him off the bench for three and fifteen minutes? Like. Um, I'm obviously I'm not I'm not working in the club. I'm not sure what his situation is, what he's doing in training, if he's even good enough. But off the off, off what I've seen seen of him for obviously Ireland underage teams and and a lot of the the hype around him, he seems like he's extremely talented and probably deserves even 15 minutes off the bench in a game that's a dead rubber, in my opinion. But uh, on Sunday, I think it has to be Palma and Johnson probably at Tillion off the bench then as a as kind of a, as a late sub. Now that we've seen him as an option, listen, there's a couple of things I'm going to take from what mm. James is saying there, Alan, and throw them over to yourself for your views. The first one being the the uh, the lack of quality that you've already spoken about uh, on the wings. Um, the perception of certain players. So I'm sitting here and I think, oh, Palma, he's, he seems to be doing well. Um, from the, the summer signings, if we were to say who's been the best, I'd probably go Palma. Um, is it due to the fact that when he does something like score a goal, it's often a, a spectacular effort which stays in the mind? There's been a few assists that, that uh, he's chipped in with, which um, you know they, they do remain. These these moments in games remain. I spoke about his indiscipline uh, yesterday. The fact that in his career he averages a card every eight eight games, um, and he needs to watch that. Mikey Johnson, you know, he's an enigma. Uh, what do we do with him? But my biggest frustration, Alan, and I want your, your take on this. I don't know if you, you know for sure how it works, but we lost a winger. We brought in three. And over the piece, I don't think, certainly I'm satisfied with the three, the quality overall of the three that we've brought in. Maybe that's harsh on Tilly. We've not seen a great deal of him. But when we have the recruitment team working and they're identifying players, and remember that time, one of the cleaners pulled out the recruitment meeting minutes from the bin and took a, a wee shot of that and before you knew it, it was worldwide, everybody knew who Celtic's targets were. What is the process then? So we've got, we've got a sheet of paper, we've got four players for a position, we can then tap into their data. This is, in my mind, how it works. Tell me if, if you know it to be different. We can then say, right, OK, Miofsky, let's check his data, let's check his figures. There's a system, I'm guessing. I mean, I had a presentation earlier this season with a football team who are not even in the same league as Celtic. And that presentation showed me how they used data. And it was really, really interesting where they could pull a player's data from just about any team in Europe. There he is. At that point, maybe this is old-fashioned, maybe this isn't deemed necessary. I would expect us to go and watch them. And actually, the old-school scouting, Alan, like, you know, you see the old scout stand away his trench coat on, watching a player and take notes. How does it work for Celtic? If, if we're trying to maybe replace Jota with the Jota we, we brought in as a low knee two seasons previously and, and thinking we can bring someone in at that stage and develop them, 
and we brought three in. How do we identify those three from the sheet, the long list? Um, is it a combination of data and old school scouting? Um, what systems do we use? Do we know how this works, Alan? No, no, I don't. I don't know what systems uh, Celtic use, or, or, or precisely what the roles and responsibilities are. Um, the way that I would imagine, or uh, it would work, would be that that we uh, so the club has access to something like a, a stats bomb, Y Scout, some of the types of databases um, to allow. You know what what the technology is good at is it allows you to, as you say. Um, filter. That's really that's really one of the benefits of having those things. You know, rather than looking at a thousand players, you whittle it down to, to I don't know twenty, let's say, uh, based yeah. on the fact that there's there's just some non-negotiable things that you might you might want. For example, um, you know, you want to have a winger who who's who's got strong pressing stats. For example, um, you might want a winger who's you know there's, there's like a, a an amount a certain speed that, that that they can they can travel that. You're not willing to, to compromise on that. There's be certain characteristics that you 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 you'll filter on if you like that you say right. I don't want anyone who falls outside of that, and that might then give you a list of say 20 or so. And then you'd, what I'd expect then is for your data analysts to do maybe a deeper data dive on on the ones that come up on the sort of short list if you like, and then you would commission your scouts uh, to, to to do a, a detailed um, you know assessment through watching them in whatever country, whatever club that yeah. they they. They, they play for that would then come back. I would then Im- imagine that the the head of uh, the head of recru- recruitment, head of scouting, would then probably, in conjunction with with the uh, recruitment team, would probably filter fil- filter that further down to maybe a, a top five, and they'd probably then go through that with the manager and and say that you know here here are the here are the ones that we've that we've identified through our scouting and and through our data process. That's kind of how I would expect it to work. Um, as I've said before, my I don't again we don't we don't know we don't know who's doing what right in the building. My opinion, based on what I've seen and heard, etc., is that <clears throat> compared to where we were when Rogers was first here, we've now got the capabilities within the building. Let's call it the infrastructure, and by that mm-hmm. I mean technology, software. Um, facilities at Lennox Town, you know, whether it's cryogenic chambers, conditioning, whatever it might be, we've now in a place that you could say, you could look at Celtic, you could look at all the capabilities that they have, and you could look at the organisational blueprint, the organisation chart, and say, yeah, that looks like a modern football club, right? Yeah. So I think yeah. we've got, I think we're at, we've got to that level. The next problem to solve for is that you need real talent in the key positions, Right, and I where where I'm, you know, uh, you know, not feeling comfortable, is that have we got the right talent in the right positions? And the reason I say that is, you know, we've got Mark Lowell as the head of recruitment and scouting, not a scout, and he's not an analyst. Right, at City Group that wasn't. You know, he he did start out as a data analyst, found that it wasn't something he was uh, particularly competent at, and so they moved him into various managerial roles, and his role was a lot about coordinating between the different clubs in and the different scouting people in the good network network of, of the city group yeah. And, yeah. and 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 he would he would he would do things like you know um coordinate you know friendlies and coordinate scouting reports make sure they all got into the system and what have you um he's not a talent spotter right so i don't know what his role is in spotting talent but all i can say is that that's not his skill set he's more let's call him a manager and i don't, I don't mean a football manager i mean an administrator let's call it He's an administrator. I mean, you need, you know, these, these are important roles and you need, you need these roles and they can be quite senior people. But, you know, that's not the sort of skill set you need for someone who's going to identify talent for Brendan Rodgers, right? Now, I don't know what he's got underneath him. Uh, there, is a, there is a head of scouting, I think. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. But again, um, from what I've heard, he, his background, again, was more administration, not actual talent swatting. So I... Based on the evidence of the public data of who we've actually recruited in the last sort of twelve months, and based on what I've, I know about the people that are in the, some of the key positions, I think we've got the framework there. But I don't. I'm not convinced yet that we've got the talent in the right areas to to make this work properly. And because mm-hmm. without these roles, and again, a football club's not a big company, right? It's not a big organisation. There will be a handful, probably, of key roles in the organisation 
whose job it is is to get a list of a high quality list of names in front of the manager to, 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 for, for for recruitment. And if those people that are producing those lists are not of a high quality, then you're going to get a poor list, right? It's as simple as that. Yeah, and th- this is the and I'm by the way, I am not specifically picking on a player here, but it's on the back. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alan. I think it was one of your your comrades on the huddle breakdown who said, I've looked at Yang's figures, the data that would have been presented for Yang prior to Celtic signing him, and he Mm -hmm. doesn't fit the criteria of player that we need, Uh, the standard, the quality. And listen, as I say, I'm not going to dig specifically at that player, but I think, was it Duco James? Was it Duco James that that, uh, put it out on Twitter? So so James James is, uh, yeah, James is the sort of benchmarking king. I mean, benchmark. Yeah. Is fundamental. How, how do you measure whether something's good or bad? You got you got to have a benchmark to compare against. So, J- James does this really well, and I've I've seen his benchmark reports on Quan, Lagerbielka, and Yang, and, and and categorically none of them made any sense to sign. They're nowhere near the quality itself. There's nothing in the data that suggested they would fit into either the style of play or were of a sufficient mm-hmm. quality. Uh, to enhance to enhance Celtic, so that that that's alarm bells for me that something's going badly wrong in the process. If that's the, the names and that's the standard of players that we're filtering to, then there's something not right about that. I'll tell you what worries me <clears throat> is going back to the point that that James mentioned there, uh, Rocco Vata, a guy who's already in the building, um, and obviously, and I say obviously, but because I don't think it's always the way. Um, what you do at training is going to play a massive part in Brennan Rodgers' thinking. And the, the reason I say obviously is because I think I always expected that to be the case. But to go back to a player that uh, you mentioned earlier on, James, Tony Mowbray, anybody I've ever spoken to who trained with Tony Mowbray said that he didn't even look like a footballer in training. Never mind a £1 million footballer that you would trust to be playing centre-half. Apparently he was terrible um, as a trainer. But on, on the game... He was he was able to to focus and, and be the player that we all remember. Um, Tony Mowbray was a big leader. He was for, for me. He was a kind of old fashioned centre half. I seen most of the games that he played. I seen him scoring a header against Rangers in a New Year's game. Um, a big full blooded centre half. But not every player is a good trainer. Now it's not always down to attitude either. Uh, I don't think or application. It's just that the um, the actual event of a game. Um, allows them to to switch on and, and tap into their own state of mind that allows them to perform. Whereas in training, because there's a it's a fake environment, um, a lot of people don't thrive. But it's pretty clear if you go by what Brendan says time and time again about personalities at training, how they're showing up at training, is is when they're going to be in, in the manager's thoughts. You could only surmise that if anybody's not in the squad, it's because a lot of things he's seeing in training, he's not. Um, convinced by or he's not impressed by. But that there, what, what, what you've just told me, Alan, I find horrendous. I find it horrendous. And the three guys you mentioned there, there is no, there is absolutely no coincidence that one of them's never been seen in Quan. One of them's been dropped from the squad just as recently as this week in Yang. And Lagerbelk's been looked at uh, competitively and then dropped from the squad as well. That worries me a bit because these are three of mm. nine players. That's a third of your your summer transfers, who, yeah, they've been identified somehow, what they've been benchmarked on, who knows, but they've not been up to scratch when you look at the data. Now, if Yang's data was terrible, yet he was tearing it up every time you played him, right, you can understand it, but neither of the three have been. And this really concerns me, and this is why I was saying, what systems do they use? So I just, uh, Paul Andrew Martin in the comments asked me, how did Lagerbielka win Swedish Defender of the Season in international camp? Let me just be a little bit more specific uh, about what I said. I said it was, uh, you know, ability uh, in terms of quality. And I'm really thinking about the two Korean lads here. Um, mm. But also I mentioned it, <clears throat> just the fit for the style of Lagerbielka. I've got no doubt that he's, he's a good footballer. Um, he just is not the style of player that would fit into the way Celtic play. His main strength is his uh, long passing, and he's actually very weak at short passing, which is absolutely fundamental for a Celtic centre half. Um, yeah. Because a Celtic centre half has the ball more than any other player on the pitch, 
uh, you know, some of scales, uh, Carter Vickers, they'll be getting, they'll be attempting nearly a hundred plus passes a game, and most of them are short. So it's fundamental that you have a player who can. That's that's a, just a core skill. So that's that's what I meant. Lagerbiev is very specific. He had, he's got very specific attributes that are strengths that don't suit Celtic, and his weaknesses don't suit Celtic either. So I'm no doubt in the right team, he would be a very effective player. I think with with Quan and Yang, it was more of a fundamental level that there are. I mean, we saw Quan in a preseason friendly, and he, he honestly, he'd, you know, he'd, he'd won a won a raffle to, to, to you know. That was the James Forrest game, wasn't it? It was, that, it was that, Yeah, it was that bad. Yeah, it was that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and, and also, also, I mean, fundamentally, why were we signing another defensive midfielder? We've got freaking yeah. eight or nine of them, right? None of that makes any sense to me. Sorry, I'm. I'm ranting again. <laughs> you're not, you're not. And we'll get to that, that position. We'll get to that position as well. It's something I really want to uh, pick your brains about, Alan. Um, just just one last thing about the system. that i I seen this presentation, going back onto the point that Alan just made there about the passing ability, mm. and I'm going to throw this one over to James because James has been carrying the torch for Liam Scales since the minute he made his first appearance this season. And what that clearly showed is... Players who have a relationship on the park, and by by that I mean who they who they pass into, right? And then it was it was a, almost like a heat map I was looking at, and at the time it was Starfield and Carter Vickers, so they were passing loads to each other, they were passing loads to Joe Hart, and loads of passes were going to our inverted fullbacks. Very rarely were they cutting the lines because I, I used to scream about it last season, hit the wingers, get in the pockets behind the, the back of the defence, get them on the back foot. That was basically the range of passing they required. The, the, the longest pass they were making was to Greg Taylor, if you're on the left-hand side, or uh, to Zjaranovic or, or Johnston on the right-hand side. And that will have continued this season, not so much back to Joe Hart, because that's changed a wee bit, but very rarely they're looking for that searching pass out to Palma or Yang, who, who, whoever is playing on the wing. Um, Scalesy is a guy, James. I'm, I'm coming to you because it's, it's a shining a moment uh, at the torch on what you said from day one I kept saying to you right Scales is doing really well but it's going to end obviously it's a purple patch you said no how does it have to be a purple patch this is long term and we're sitting here now midway December and he's still he's still there a mainstay in the cent- central defensive area for Celtic um, how chuffed are you uh, first and foremost James it's great to be right it's absolutely brilliant to be right um, but he's doing so well for Ireland as well and um, at the moment, it doesn't look as though he's going to lose his place, does it? Yeah, well, obviously, I think I'm kind of known as Liam Scales PR team at this stage. You know, they're going about him. But listen, Liam's obviously had a brilliant Champions League, um, looking relatively comfortable in terms of his performance. I don't think he's he hasn't really put a foot wrong in terms of them Champions League games. I don't remember um, like a, a really big mistake he's made. Maybe away to Atletico Madrid, obviously, he was... He, it's football is not a linear game. Like Liam, obviously, he's performing really well at the moment. Um, and I think a lot of Celtic fans, when he probably at the start of the season, even even like when he was coming back from Aberdeen, kind of just probably a bit unfair on him in terms of back. Like Liam Scales is centre half. Like I think that's kind of well known in in our Irish football circus when he went over there. He's he's a centre half, a ball playing centre half. He's not a he's not an inverted fullback. So. I think finally seeing him in that position has definitely has definitely helped to um, improve his performances, especially this season. He's he's a lot more comfortable. Um, in terms of his situation at the moment, I think obviously you've got Naraki and Lagerbelk fit. Whatever their whatever their situation is, is kind of unknown. Brendan has obviously said that he wants to see more from them in training, but probably long term you're kind of looking at Naraki. Obviously brought him in for four and a half million. Like where's where's he going to fit in terms of in terms of the centre half situation is the scale is going to continue to be a starter when the Rocky be given an opportunity. Um, in terms of what I think, I think probably the Rocky should probably be given an opportunity um, probably in, in the relatively short, short term. Like you look at scales, I think he's, he's been brilliant for a few months, last couple of games. He probably hasn't been as good as maybe, as maybe he was. And I think we've obviously spent four and a half million on the Rocky, like, and he was relatively confident to start the season. And I, I'd probably be willing to give him an opportunity in the first team and see see what he can add. Um, but for the moment, yeah, Liam, Liam's obviously been brilliant and uh, long may continue. Like, yeah, I'm glad for you. I'm glad for Liam Scales. Um, and you know, it, it's one of these things again that 
when you look at the situation a player is in, Alan, Mikey Johnson, I, I've I've given a lot of credit to Mikey Johnson because he's basically been on the scrap heap and not for the first time at Celtic, but he's managed to pick himself up, dust himself down. But it's still not quite happening for him at Celtic. Do you agree with James in relation to the winners that we play at the weekend? Do you still think it's Palmer and Johnson? Would you try something different? Would you? I mean, it's not going to be popular anyway if you start with James Forrest, even though he is still positively contributing uh, this season. Um, but it, it comes down to a lack of options at the moment on the wings, doesn't it, Alan? Yeah, I mean, with Forrest, I think he played him in uh, Rome. Um, and, I, and I understand why he played him. He, he wanted to try and control the game as much as possible. And Forrest is pretty safe in possession compared to a lot. I mean, Palmer and Yang give the ball away for fun, don't they? But yeah, you know, so Forrest is a much safer option in that that sense. The problem is, of course, he does. You know, the, the pace isn't there anymore. Um, you know, another killer stat from that game was that Forrest completed one forward pass the whole game against Lazio. Now you know to have one of your three forwards completing one forward pass is just it's just not it's just not not good not good enough. So the ball kept being recycled backwards, etc. Um, I think Forrest still has utility as a substitute. Um, to be honest, I think he's you know he's he's an intelligent player, and coming on late in games, I think he's still got got, got something to offer. Absolutely, but in terms of starting, you need a bit more pace and dynamism. Um, we can't keep chopping and changing. I think Johnston, um, he, he looks he looks a little bit stronger to me. He looks a little bit more, um, bit more physically uh, fit. I suppose fits the right word. Just a little bit, not not bulkier, but just a wee bit more kind of uh, stronger. Like I say, so he's filled out a little bit, which I think is good. I know he's had a lot of issues injury wise in his career. Um, I don't know if that's still going to be the case. Hopefully not. Um, but with Johnson, it was always really fun. But this fundamental issue was decision making. Um, you know, all the skill in the world drifts past people for fun, and then and then what happens? Um, you know, and then that actually we've seen that in the in the two games. You know, he got he got, he got a lot of praise for the game at St Johnston, but he actually he didn't create a chance, and he had one really bad shot from outside the box that was a terrible decision and badly executed. So mm. he, he had. He had no shots at goal, worth worth the the comment, and he didn't he didn't create a single chance. But he just it was it had been so bad before that he at least drove the team forward. You know he yeah. he showed intent, and that and that that psychologically just gave everybody a lift. I think, um, and fair play to him. Um, he was pretty quiet against uh, Hibbs and and Rogers. I was quite surprised how pointed Rogers was in his comments afterwards. Um, really. Um, so that, that that wasn't encouraging for him, I don't think. But I, I would stick with him. Let's see if the new Mikey Johnson, his year in Portugal, you know, what's he learned? Has he matured? Can he find that his rhythm as far as getting back to uh, some semblance of form? But I just, I do worry because, you know, decision-making, it can be trained, you can get better, but it's because it's it's mental, it's, it's in, you know, the way your brain works. It's a hard thing to... Uh, to improve really and I, I just I just do wonder if he's got that in him I'd, I'd love to think he has because like you say he's got the pace he's got the skill he, he's got all the the tools really in that sense it's just the the the, uh, the decision making at the end of it is, is just not not good so yeah but I think for Sunday um you know I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change it around again I certainly think you know if Yang's going to be a player he needs to go off and he needs a lot, a lot, a lot of development before, before mm. you know he's ready for a first team at Celtic level. He's he looks miles off being the, the, the you know a Celtic level player, um, and and we haven't really got a lot of charm. I mean, Tilio again, Tilio's a young kid really, um, so yeah, I think I think we stick with Johnson and hope that he uh, hope that he improves in terms of his final his final product. No, you're right. The, the unique angle, which is something I think Celtic as a club do really well, simple enough idea, but it works really well, showed you it was the move that, that resulted in Alistair, Alistair Johnson winning the penalty. And in Mikey Johnson's mm. contribution to that move, Alan, the skills that he shows are unbelievable. And you've heard some of his teammates saying he's the most naturally gifted player in the squad, but you've still got to mm. make the right decision. I mean, he, he pulled the ball out there, his first touch was phenomenal, but second, his decision after that was terrible. So I wanted to, to see him doing well. And I think that what's happened is him and David Turnbull 
uh, this season, I think Brennan Rodgers has been hard on them. But he's probably doing it deliberately. He's probably looked at the situation um, and he's thinking to himself, I could praise them to the hilt, but it, that doesn't motivate them. I'm not going to get a result out of them if I do that. I'm actually going to I'm going to give them a bit of a dig out. And that's exactly what he's done post-match uh, with David Turnbull and Mikey Johnson this season. Hopefully it works with both or at least one of them. Um, we're talking about the, the team on the weekend. I'm going to bring up some of these comments before I come back to the, the final big uh, decision I think that's to be made, and that's who gets Hatati's jersey. The fact that I'm calling it Hatati's jersey. Um, I don't think anyone has claimed it as of yet. We've seen Home, Bernardo, Turnbull and Awata all playing to various levels of success. And I'm going to ask the guys... Who should get the jersey at the weekend? I'm going to bring some of these comments up first. Stephen Sloan, eight and a half million for Fitzgerald. Is that what they want for him? Wow. Uh, we could buy Miofsky and Shankland for that same amount of money. Yes, we could. But again, I don't think we should be stockpiling players. We've got a squad at the moment of 32, and we definitely need to trim it. How much can you trim it in one window? It's going to be taking three or four windows to get it to the, the point where you want it because mm. you're, you're offloading guys, but you're also bringing in quality um, it's going to take a while to get it to that figure of 25 that Brendan's already mentioned. Uh, you and boy Martin, I think you keep the same stat 11 from the Hibs game. Maybe start Forrest instead of Johnson or go two up top with Kyogo. And, oh, just before I ask you the, the final question, Alan, what do you make of the, the two up top? Is there an argument to say we can do it? Do we have the personnel? I mean, shape-wise, is Brendan going to be, um, you know, is he, is he going to do it? Is he going to be prepared to change his shape? To play both of them? I don't think I can't see it to be honest with you I think he's he's well set on that um, I, it might suit certain teams I know even 4-4-2 I mean like Hibs played 4-4-2 under Montgomery, have done all season under him um, I, I don't mind 4-4-2 as a, as a shape without the ball and Celtic actually generally do play 4-4-2 without the ball um, usually O'Reilly uh, has been O'Reilly um, it, it was Hatati before he got injured. Push up striker, and we, and we play a we play a very sort of you know compact four four two out without the ball. Very good shape. It's, it's it's simple. The players understand that shape with the ball. I'm less concerned about the, the formation. It's more about finding the spaces and exploiting the the spaces. Mm-hmm. And the formation is largely irrelevant. I mean, under Ange, if you if you kind of took an average position with the ball when Celtic attacked. It was essentially a two-three-five. <laughs> That's really what it yeah. was. But you know, you, yeah. you'd never, you'd never say oh, we play a two-three-five. You know, so in that, and, and so in that sense, it doesn't matter whether you call one of them a striker or two of them a strikers. You just need to get bodies in the box. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I'm, 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 I'm more concerned actually uh, without the ball. And if you got two up front, you, immediately you generally can the centre backs will generally pa- bypass those two players. So then suddenly you're, you're, you're defending with eight. I'd rather defend with nine. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not. It's not I'm, I'm more. I'm not really a fan of it. More, more because of the impact off the ball than than with the ball. I don't think with the ball it makes a huge difference. You've already got three. Let's call them forwards on the pitch anyway. You know, adding a fourth is probably a little bit a little bit too much in terms of risk. So um, a long way of saying I'm not a great fan. I think Kyogo can play as a ten. Um, you know, he's he's clever enough. His movement's good enough. Mm. He could do that, and I think we have done that, especially when we're chasing games. A little bit, but to no, know it's not something I would, I would be a fan of in t- in general. And we wouldn't expect. That. I mean, the the final discussion mm-hmm. point I think around the team selection at the weekend, James, and I'll ask you first. I mentioned the guys that have um, had a shot of Hatati's uh, jersey since he's been injured, um, and when I look at them, we all know what David Turnbull can do. Uh, we know his attributes. Uh, we also know there's deficiencies there in the game, which is why he doesn't play as as, as often as he would like. I think Holmes shown some real good promise. He's definitely one for the future, and you'll get game time to develop him. Uh, Bernardo, I'm a bit bemused by the scenario there, uh, particularly where he was making appearances in the Champions League. I'm not saying I think he's a bad player. Um, I just don't know if there's a future in Bernardo at Celtic. And then, of course, we've got Awata. And uh, on Axom, a few of us were screaming for Awata to get a game. And I thought he did really well against Hibs. Um, and I think what he did not only in his own performance, although there was one moment in the first half where it was a real slack pass, if you're going to really look at his performance. But I think that he gave McGregor and O'Reilly um, a bit of that backup, like he was protecting 
you know, their their defensive kind of duties, if you like, and he was also protecting the centre halves behind him. And I think he did it really well. I don't think there's another. Uh, maybe the, the date will tell me different. Another player from the ones I mentioned who does it as well. Um, so I'm going to go for a water. What about yourself, James? Um, who are you playing in that defensive midfield role? Yeah, I think Iwata was was really good against Ipswich, and I um, I wouldn't say he was he probably didn't have that much to do in terms of his position. Like a, we obviously had a lot of the ball around home at Celtic Park, but he, he you were, I was agree with Paul. Like he freed up McGregor a lot to really express himself and, and get forward and and create opportunities. You can even look at O's goal. Like McGregor obviously had that license to kind of play that ambitious pass, and he McGregor just looks much more comfortable in that eight role, and he's obviously. He's played in the sixth row for the past number of years, so his defensive game would have came on a lot as well. So in that number eight row, he obviously is he's as confident going forward as he is going back, which is really important. And I was I was kind of surprised that he didn't Rogers didn't go for Awata even in, in European games. He would have given us a lot more protection, I think, with McGregor, Awata, and O'Reilly. And obviously Rogers was kind of unsure of Tate as well, so that probably didn't make a lot of sense to me, but. For Sunday, I think it's it has to be Awata. He was he was good to deny, and he just frees up McGregor and O'Reilly to to really express themselves and get forward. And in terms of the other options, you could obviously move McGregor back and, and play Bernardo and Bernardo Turnbull home, who neither or none of them really have kind of staked their place to be starting. So it probably has to be Awata for me, um, sitting in that number six row. Yeah, I'm going to bring this up, Alan, because I remember you commenting on this very subject uh, I think as we entered the January the, the summer transfer window and uh, Chris again says we are absolutely missing a powerful athletic strong dynamic central midfielder uh, I don't think you'll have changed your mind on that one Alan but who do you play as your defensive mids at the weekend I don't think uh, Iwata did anything on against Hibs to warrant not, not playing again um, listen all around the pitch, I feel like we're making compromising decisions, um, and and we're kind of making making and making do essentially. You know, I, when I looked at the you know the game against Lazio, I I, I said, to be honest with you, there's only five players on that pitch that I think should be playing a Champions League game for Celtic, and, I, mm. and I'm and I'm settled on that. But we are where we are. I can't, I've been going on about recruitment all season. Um, we've got to work with what we've got. Um, so I think we've stumbled upon actually what could be the the optimal midfield. Uh, I don't again. I don't like the idea of McGregor being pushed forward. I think his days as an attacking midfielder are over. I don't think he's quick enough. Um, his his you know his creativity has been going down gradually over the years as uh, you know regress regressing very steadily as he's got older. Um, it's probably more demanding playing that eight role physically than it is the six role, and he's already shown signs of. As I say, of, of, of kind of a perfectly normal age regression in terms of his his athleticism. So, as a long term solution, I wouldn't see it as being the answer. But in terms of short term, um, then I think we may have stumbled upon the optimal midfield for the for the players that we've got. What I liked about it on uh, and, and bear in mind as well, you got context right. Hips Hips came to play. They played a four four two with the ball, so the midfield was quite open. So Celtic had room and space in which to operate. It won't be like that on Sunday on the on the plastic. Um, it will be more congested. It will be more frenetic, um, and it might therefore not be as fluid as it as it was against Hibs. Um, but uh, what, excuse me, what I liked was that if you looked at the sort of average positions, McGregor was really more of a double pivot with Iwata. He he was very intelligent, McGregor. You know, he got forward, but he also supported Iwata. Um, much like O'Reilly has been doing with McGregor this season. O'Reilly gets into the box a lot, but he also comes back and supports um, McGregor, especially in European games. And, and they kind of swap roles. O'Reilly was the more attacking number 10, if you like, and McGregor was was a kind of hybrid pivot number eight, and, and he played that very intelligently. So I think, I think that's probably the optimal solution for now. Um, home, when he's played, um, he... He's just not found a way to get in the game. He's clearly a talented footballer, but he struggled to get on the ball. He struggled to impose himself on games. And I think that's a maturity thing and something he's just going to have to work on, find ways to get on the ball more, find ways to find space better. He's just too hes just too uninvolved in the games. And Bernardo's a really strange one, really strange. Um, he's become a bit of a sort of European specialist. 
the reason that he plays in the Champions League matches is 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 is, is, is probably after Matt O'Reilly, he's probably the best defensive midfielder that Celtic have. Off the ball, he's brilliant. He, he's great. It's it's filling gaps, finding you know filling spaces. He's he's he's, he's athletic. He gets around the pitch well. Uh, he breaks play up. You know he's strong in the tackle, and he's just nothing. He's nothing like what I thought we'd signed when I looked at him. When we when we signed him, I thought we were getting like a number ten, like a creative, yeah, uh, uh, fulcrum if you like, and I've, we've just not seen any of that. I, 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 and it's astonishing in all those appearances. I think he's made three pack passes, three. I mean that's astonishing for a midfielder in, in all of his appearances. He just doesn't seem to pass the ball forward. He always goes sideways or back. So the re- so I, so I think he's got a lot of development to do. If he's he's going to have to give more in the attacking sense to be a number eight for Celtic. Uh, we just don't see enough enough in the final third, but as I say, he plays in Europe because he's so good. He's so good off the ball, mm. was, you know, without the ball, um, really. So uh, yeah, it's again. I come back to we're, we're making compromises uh, all, all over the place at the moment as a team. I think I think it's a hell. Of, I'm 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 shocked how we've gone from the cohesion of last season to to this kind of ramshackle squad that that is a bit. Um, you know, un, you know, a bit unfunctional actually at the moment, and we're just having to make all these odd decisions to kind of work around it. The thing is, <clears throat> Alan, when you were talking about uh, who you were happy with in the Champions League games, I, I think after the Lazio game, I, I posed this on the shows and also to the um, the WhatsApp group as well. So I, I wasn't a million miles away from what you said there. I, I had a wee list myself, and I think it was five. Well, let me just double check. Yeah, I had five players myself. Actually, just looking at my list there, who I felt were I'm confident going into these games that they're the right the right Celtic players in right the right level, positions. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't mean that every one of them could sign for Real Madrid and, and be an elite footballer. Mm. I meant they're the five I was happy with. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree with that, and I get what you mean. And it does feel as though we're making compromises. Um, in a number of positions around the, the park. Brennan Rogers, I think, agrees with us and he's starting to get a bit frustrated and a bit angry with it. Um, so let's yeah, hope that, that anger, <laughs> let's hope it can turn into a positive energy uh, in the January transfer window. Um, talking of positivity, it has been a positive day today. I've really enjoyed catching up with Alan. I think you've been contributing now to Axon for a good good part of four or five years all in, Alan, from the... Um, the old audio podcast back in the day, a Celtic start of mind, we called it. Um, but yeah, it's always a pleasure to to get your take on it. And of course, uh, young James French as well, who runs the Liam Scales CSC and uh, will always fly the flag for Scalesy. By the way, Anderlecht are apparently interested in him as well. So hopefully we yeah. can keep a, keep a hold of him. Um, if you want to come along and uh, get involved in Axom's Christmas night out, most of the Axom team will be there that are based in Scotland that is um, I think there's about 20 tickets left it's Johan Mialbe it's a week on Monday and it's at Gracie's and the link is underneath this video thank you every single one of you 700 strong on this Friday afternoon and some of you might be joining Cell 88 for a beer or two so you go and enjoy that thank you to James French and Alan Morrison for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind Network.